Time for a holiday trading week. We got a lot to discuss today. Tesla kind of took the market down last week with this Twitter Twitter stuff, and now Musk is maybe taking the market back up by stepping down as CEO. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the rebound in uh, Tesla's uh, share price. We'll talk about the quad witch, man. They pounded it. Is it the old quad witch low where we just turn around and rally for a quarter? We'll find out about that. We'll talk biotech. I have to. Uh, some big movers there. And got a special treat for you today. Mitch is out for his birthday. But we have a special guest host coming in. And, of course, we'll get our last chat of the year in with Tim Quas. So, special new guest producer. Take it away. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Let's take a look at the futures markets or the SPY. We're trading up 12 and a quarter handles. A little bit of a weak close, but we're back. Can we get back over 3,900 today? Uh, we're looking at the dollar index. That's down a dime. UUP or UUD, if you want to look at that, at 104.55. Uh, TLT, after holding up pretty well last week, uh, that's trading down a buck. Crude. Just hanging out in the 75 handle, or you could look at the USO. Uh, crude up 35 cents at 74.81. Gold climbing back above 1800 at 1802.30. That's up two bucks. You can look at the GLD if you want. And silver, that's up six cents at 23.39. You can look at the SLV ETF. And uh, Bitcoin. Kind of a quiet weekend here. We got Bitcoin down 70 cents at 16,705. We'll bring in uh, Triple D here uh, from here, from uh, cold old Canada. And then uh, we'll bring in Aaron Bree. Uh, young Aaron Bree we'll, uh, we'll bring in. Aaron, uh, how you doing? And uh, welcome to the show. I'm good, Joel. Joel, thank you and uh, to you and Dennis for having me this morning. Shout out to everyone in the, in the chat and the audience today. It's been a, pl- it's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you guys this Monday morning. Filling in for Mitch. We're going to have a good show. Like Joel said, we've got Tim Quas. We've got some good topics today. Uh, how are you guys doing this morning? We're doing, doing good. good. I'm a in good a weekend. snow day here, so kids don't have school today. About 8 to 10 inches of snow here Ooh. falling overnight. It's pretty snowy looking out there. I was just looking out the window right now. but And I'm warm in here. I'm warm in the office, so we're ready to go. Lots of good news here, at least for the markets, at least for Tesla, it appears this morning here, Aaron. So yeah. welcome to the show, and yeah, what's up? Not a whole lot. Um, yeah, that's that's exciting with the snow there. I'm sure the kids there are going to enjoy that snow day. But uh, yeah, Dennis, you mentioned Tesla. Uh, for those who didn't see, over the weekend, Elon Musk uh, put, put a poll out on Twitter basically saying, should I step down as the CEO of Twitter? He said he'll abide by the results of the poll. And uh Yes is winning the poll right now. So people are saying, yes, uh, Elon should step down from Twitter. And the market is saying, yeah, you should, Elon, because Tesla is up about 3% today pre-market. So Elon might see that and say, all right, yeah, maybe I really should, you know, step down from Twitter and start refocusing on Tesla. So 
can see Tesla getting that bounce. What do you see, Dennis? Yeah, so this has broad implications here. There's been two things weighing on Tesla. One, the overall multiple contraction that we've been seeing in 2022 in high multiple names. But the second thing is no coincidence that he obviously came over, took over Twitter just and you know, I, and about you know, a month and a half ago or two months ago, and the stock's been straight down ever since. One, investors are worried about what he's saying on Twitter. So they're worried about you know potential you know brand harming of Tesla because he's tweeting too much and saying stuff that may be offending certain people. And then two, they're worried about that he's spending too much time with Twitter and not enough time with Tesla. So for both reasons, Tesla investors do not like him at Twitter. So and I don't think it's a coincidence that when he first started that poll, the nose were winning. Actually, I looked at really? it. Really? Like, wow, the nose were winning on the first like. 50, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand votes. And then all of a sudden, maybe it was a couple million votes, the first couple million. But then the yeses started coming in hard. And I think every Tesla investor was coming in, vote yes, we can get rid of this guy. And, uh, you know, and, well, well, and I, I, have a, or not. I have a theory on that, Dennis, because I noticed that as well. Okay. So my theory on that is that when on Twitter, you can have tweet notifications on for someone. So someone gets, you know, a, a yeah. blast on their phone when someone tweets. So all of Elon's biggest fans are going to have those notifications on. So in the first three minutes, all the people voting when he first puts out the right. poll are his biggest fans. And then as that poll gets more to the general audience, then it's going to sure. get more evened out. Wow, that's a great, you know, uh, perspective there, Aaron. I didn't think about that. And I think you're right. I would agree with that, too. I know I have notifications on for a few people as well, you know, major market movers. You know, obviously, you could put Warren Buffett, but he never tweets. But I'd have to go look and I could tell you the notifications. But I have the same thing for probably about a dozen accounts that, you know, could move markets. And if you need something. So like Jim Cramer, I have because sometimes I can like talking to Jim Cramer because a lot of non you know it's a lot of you know not moving stocks but you know it's a certain market movers i think it's a good idea to have on there so that's a great perspective and you know maybe that is the case but as, as obviously the poll is done here now they do want musk to step down he did say he would abide by this poll they just interviewed gene munster on cnbc i saw that and he was saying that he believes that musk will abide and step down I mean, if we get an official announcement, like if he tweets out, yes, I'm going to step down here today, Tesla will get another pop. Did you yeah. vote? Did either of you guys vote? I voted yes. What I think about I'm you, not- young AB? I voted yes as well. I, I, I was thinking about it because it's like I love Twitter and I think it'd be best for that. But I also, you know, if I was holding some Tesla puts or something, maybe I wouldn't <laughs> want him to hang, yeah, hang around. Tesla puts your vote. You're, if you're holding Tesla puts, you're probably voting no. Exactly. <laughs> if you're holding well, Tesla calls, you're voting yes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So the people who are in the position, they're voting their position on that one for sure. It's so interesting, Joel, that this he's so public. I mean, you know, the CEO, if you think about a typical CEO and they're not very public, they come on the conference call, you hear from them, you know, periodically, maybe on an interview on CNBC or something, but not overly public. I mean, he's so public. His opinions are out there so much. Everybody knows Elon Musk and they either like him or they don't like him. So I think personally, it's a good thing for Tesla if he does step down. Um, I will say, you know, if he does step down, I think it gets another pop. It's very important for Tesla to hold these gains today because if he ends up stepping down and Tesla doesn't hold the gains, that is a whole nother can of worms. So this is what Tesla investors wanted. And I'm actually disappointed, I would say, in the price action so far. 
I would have thought it would be up 10 bucks at least on this. And it's only up $3.87 here. And um, I, I'm actually disappointed that it's not up more. I'm looking at the charts here, and I'll just give you the pre-market high. You got to pop over 158. You got to 158.20. Uh, after making a multi-month low on Friday, you think this would be getting more of a pop. But for me... I'm just looking at this 161 area. If you're looking at the daily charts, you can see the last three highs, 161, 62, 160, 93, and 160.99. All that adds up to 161 being triple star resistance. You're trading at 154.30. So I have to agree with you on that, Dennis. I boy oh boy, it's starting to fade and uh, yeah. fade fast. And I I if I'm, 161 is the number. I'll stick with that one for the week. Gets above 161. There's some room on the upside. Still, once you're hanging below 161, I think the bears are still in control, and we'll see what happens. Uh, see what happens at the uh, at the closing price. That was I'm scared. I'm scared for Tesla investors here. This is the news they needed. And again, we don't have confirmation. And if he comes out and says I'm not stepping down. Tesla's really going to get hammered because now, you know, like even Gene Munster said that it'd be a black eye for him that if he didn't follow through on what he said he was going to do. So he needs to follow through here now. I yep. think it will get another relief pop, but I'm actually very disappointed in the Tesla pricing action here. Um, and, and I have no position at this time. I actually had a little position. I had sold it overnight. Um, so I have no position um, free to talk clearly about it here at this time. Yeah, um, guys... But I'm actually disappointed. If I was a Tesla long or a Tesla bull here, I'd be disappointed that's not trading higher. Yeah, and I was just going to say to everyone out there, you know, our charts will look a little bit different today. We're using Benzinga Pro, but you can see we're looking at the five-minute chart here on Tesla, and here's what Dennis is talking about. We got this pop this morning up here to about 158. Already kind of selling that off here on the five-minute yeah. chart pre-market. Not what you want to see. Uh, just to Jay Rice's point, and, and Dennis, you mentioned Gene Munster talking about it on CNBC as well of, of are we going to get confirmation that Elon is actually stepping down? I would think that, yes, we will get that confirmation uh, either sometime today or tomorrow. And, yeah, and I would think part, so too. partly because in the poll, he specified when he put out the poll, I will abide by the results of this poll. So if he specifically put that clause in there yeah. and then didn't like, it's, it's not a legal contract. It's just a tweet, whatever. But if you say specifically, I'm going to follow the results of this poll and then don't, that loses some people. Some people are going to be like, all right, what's the deal with that? So I think yeah. he will end up abiding by. I don't the think poll, he has but... a choice there. And I think, right. I think you're right. I don't think he has a choice. I think he absolutely has to step down here now. And Who's going to take over? Who's going to take over? Well, mean, he'll find that's... somebody. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody... he already has somebody. He, he kind of probably knew, you know, to Gene Munster's point is that Gene says he didn't want the job. You know, he didn't want to take Twitter over. He, we knew he had to, and he didn't want the job. And this is his out. You know, this is his way of, you know, well, we'll let the people decide, you know, so maybe he already has a master plan here. He's smart. You know, maybe he already has somebody ready to go on that. But I don't think Tesla investors even care. I think Tesla investors just Watch want him. him back running Tesla. Stop tweeting so much. Like maybe you're not going to slow down the tweeting, but maybe you will if he's not just so involved with that. So it's a win for Tesla no matter what, I believe, if he actually does step down as Twitter CEO. With that being said, the Tesla valuation is still a problem. The recession potentially coming, which I've been calling for, is still a problem for Tesla. And market investors are saying, hey, only $3.5 on this news is like, 
okay, now we're starting to see that maybe it wasn't all just a Twitter situation, but it was multiple contraction here and people worrying about a recession. That is the bigger problem for Tesla. Got it. Well, let's go ahead and uh, leave the Tesla discussion for now. We can get back to it if we get any more news or if anyone has any, any, any final thoughts or questions in the chat. Um, but Dennis, I'm curious just about last week, kind of the, the opening, closing and balances as we head into the holiday week. What are you seeing just in terms of, of uh, you know, the overall market and trading right now? Um, so you had some significant imbalances on on Friday. Um, it's always hard to remember back after the weekend there. But, um, you know, we've, we were, we've been straight down for four days. I mean, we're, we're now oversold here on some stocks. We're oversold probably on the overall market in the short term. Um, but I do think there's so many people underwater. I think rallies are going to be sold as well. So I'd use any strength. If we get some strength, maybe we could bounce 100 handles, you know, at some point in time here on some type of news. I would use that strength to sell, even 50 handles. I mean, I'd be using strength to raise cash. I do think 2023 is going to be a very rough year for stock for stocks. I would absolutely be selling all those value names at this point in time. They've rallied too much. I mean, Caterpillar, again, still sitting up near the highs. Doesn't want to sell off. Deer sold off, bouncing back, giving you lots of opportunities here. But if we go into recession, they'll come for these names too. So, I mean, these names have held up well. Maybe they hold up well into the end of the year, and this could bring us into a conversation here and about tax loss selling. I mean, you know, everybody's expecting the big Santa Claus rally. Everybody's expecting that, hey, you know, this is going to turn around. We're going to get in here, and, you know, this, you know, that, that's going to be a really good rally here towards the end of the year. One thing to consider is that, you know, we're kind of been spoiled in the last 10 or 12 years because we've been in this relentless bull market. Most of the years have been up years. What you actually see sometimes occur at the end of the year is a continuation of the whole year. So we're, you know, maybe your perspectives are skewed a little bit because, you know, eight or nine or 10 of these years of the last 12 have been up. So then you just see that continuation of, you know, the, the move. But 2022 has been a very bad year for stocks. So I would think tax loss selling is going to come into play in a lot of those beaten down names. So I don't think I would be coming in here and buying the squares and buying all those other ones saying, yeah, they're going to bounce towards the end of the year. The opposite can actually occur here, that there's so many bag holders sitting on these stocks, you could see continued pressure. I would actually be thinking about January 1st as more of the time that I would maybe start to buy some of these beat up growth, beaten up growth names, as opposed to trying to come in them with two weeks left thinking you're going to get this end of the year rally. Couple things here and on, on those comments. Uh, just going back, did the, the the balances? They were really flipping in the morning, right? Because I saw they're a lot flipping of on nights yeah, here. They were really yeah, flipping. Yeah, there were no discrepancies, and then the little uh, little rally at the end of the day. Maybe they came in a little bit to the sell side because I even saw some some after hours uh, trading. But uh, you know, we just technically here, just going about the market, and and Dennis, what you had talked about about the continuation of the yeah. trend. Um, you know, we lost the number, you know, my, my bullish levels last week when we took out the prior week's low at 45.75. So we have a new bogey on the downside, obviously, and that's that's Friday's low at 55 and a quarter. That's, you know, 90 handles lower. The only thing that like the bulls, and it's not a very big hat rack, you know, that you can hang your this hat on, is that you do get turns in the market off quad witch expirations. Uh, you know, major turning points in the market, either major highs or major lows. So the bulls got a lot of work to do this week and they, they got to defend that low from Friday. Because when I look at the daily and you can bring up the daily and the spy, when I bring up my daily and the S and P 
and then markets don't go all you know right to where you think, but there's just no daily lows in here to support that area. Uh, the two major lows that you have are under 3,800 at 3,780. You know, so are we going to build a base above that? So I, I reiterate, you know, maybe the quad which turn, but and we talked about this too last week, Dennis. It just seems like on rallies, people know where they want to sell. Yeah. The orders are there. They're they're you know two. I wasn't here last Tuesday when you had that ridiculous pop off the PPI number, uh, or the CPI number. But people aren't so like they're not in the buying mode. You know, like they're buying these dips. They're running stocks, but you know you just don't see like you know feel like these institutional bids are just like you know I'm here at one ten and you're not going to move me. So that no. that's uh. That just echoes uh, your sentiment moving into the end. It's of the still year. that sentiment. It's turn, and I mean, maybe it's a crowded trade to the cash side now. Maybe it's a crowded trade to the what's going into recession, you know, and that is a concern for the bears. But again, I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of people who still think this market's going to bounce back next year, and I'm not sure that happens either. So I'm not even sure what the consensus. Like, it feels like it's bearish out there, but there's still people doing stuff. I mean, I don't even think the recession has hit yet. So right. I, I'm still of the opinion that I want to have cash here because I think there still could be some ugly times in 2023. Yeah. And so Dennis, I want to get back to something you mentioned real quick. And I see some people in the chat mentioning yep. MDGL and some other biotech stocks. We will get to biotech in a few minutes. Um, but real quick. So Dennis, you mentioned value stocks kind of showing some weakness. Now something I noticed the past couple of weeks was if you look at the XLF uh, financials or XLE both have been kind of selling off and you typically only see energy and financials selling off together in times when people are starting to get more worried about a recession. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, when you start seeing those value names go off, doesn't necessarily mean, okay, it's time to start buying the squares and the growth stocks, at least not yet. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I do think um, like, I, like I think I'm just trying to look at the overall economy here and saying, Hey, it's been holding up really well, but I just don't think it's going to continue to be the case. I think it is going to slow down. I think interest rates will have their toll, but this is a great observation by you, Aaron. I mean, the banks are telling you something's wrong here. Bank right. America is down 20% here, Joel, in a matter of about two weeks. I mean, that doesn't this happen is the... quiet, quiet and I'm ballparking at six bucks, you know, 38. So fits, let's say 15%. We can safely say down 15% in the last two weeks. I mean, this is a serious sell-off here. It's one of the Wells biggest Fargo. banks in the country. It doesn't happen unless, you know, up. Some, some people are worried about the outlook of the economy. It doesn't happen yeah. unless, you know, if everything's humming on, on all cylinders. Something, something appears to be up with the banks. And Wells Fargo, same story, $48 back to the lows at 41. JP Morgan holding up better again. Jamie Dimon, people trust Jamie Dimon a little bit more. JP Morgan still won a best of breed, but I'd be concerned that there may be some follow through here too. But you are seeing it on a lot of the banks. You're starting to see some serious weakness here. I mean, look at the regional banks, KRE. So if you just want to take the overall index here, full of regional banks, 64 to 56. Oh. I mean, we're down 15%, Joel, two maybe, weeks. What's maybe, up? Maybe we'll I mean, have to get Melvin on the... This is supposed to be the value trade. supposed to be like, yeah, we're moving from high PE to low PE. Banks have low PEs. This is telling you something else is going on here. I do believe that investors are preparing for a recession 2023 here, and they're voicing their opinions by selling some of these banks. <clears throat> So, Dennis, couldn't the flip side to that, though, be and just I'm playing devil's advocate? And no, I, I, I like that. I don't necessarily think it's a time for growth stocks either. But if, if we are heading toward a more recession and you have these value names, whether it's energy names, bank names that aren't killing it, that aren't making a lot of money, those stocks are going down too. 
aren't you then at that point more incentivized to start taking a stab at some growth stocks? If you're like, all right, if, if no one's making money, I might as well buy the ones that are, are going to grow more. Yeah, but again, growth stocks get hit even harder during a recession. It's again, we go back to the lack of the Tina trade here. You know, we yeah, talked about the Tina trade yep. for 10 years. There What's is that? no alternative. All of a sudden, the alternative is there. And the alternative is very attractive here. Like I said, you know, in, in Ontario, and you're coming into the 5% range in the U.S. too. But government-free, you know, risk-free bonds, and they'll say, the Bitcoiners will say nothing's risk-free. The government's going to collapse and we're all going to die. But I mean... You know, we got to be on Bitcoin. But, you know, let's be honest here. You know, if, if the government, you know, if we're not going to honor, you know, government securities here, then we're going to have bigger problems in the stock market. So if you're looking, comparing stocks to cash right now, 5.1% is what you can tie. 5.2. I was seeing 5.2. And those are posted rates here now, Joel. You can I know. negotiate those We should bit. We should go in. 5. I want to go in that. I want to go in that for a second. On one year. One yeah. year money. Even yep. two year money. 5.1, 5.3, 5.5. I mean, this a, is you know Ontario GICs, government ins insured. So I mean, you're 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 not risking anything here. So for the younger investors a, out there, center. Dennis, this is like a new word, you know. Yeah. Like Aaron, yeah. Aaron just said, and and it, it, Tina, there is no alternative. Uh, for so many years with interest rates so low, right? You couldn't make any coin in the bank. Nothing. You couldn't make anything on CDs. So there was no alternative into being in equities. And I know you're fairly young around my, you know, uh, around my daughter's age, you know, like, you know, 5%, you know, that was, that was unheard of. And there was no alternative to the market, but now in a rising interest rate environment, there is alternatives. Yeah. yeah if a, if inflation's 8%, and you got 5%, well, yeah, maybe you're losing 3%. But would you rather lose, you know, theoretically lose the 3% or be in stocks that were down 20% for the year? So it's a whole new dynamic. And, and also it helps out other people. It, you know, it helps out people that have been on fixed income. You know, it, it's, it helps people out that have been weary of this market and have been holding on to cash. So there's a different alternative. I just don't see rates going back down. I mean, like, we don't, this is like going to be a half hour discussion. I don't see a, a pivot turn. I don't see rates stop going up. I don't see them starting going down. And if, if, and when they go down, I don't think they're ever going to get back down to those ridiculous he, levels. He said it. He, he, he said it last week. There's a reason this market is relentlessly selling since the Powell. They wanted him to start talking, you know, dovish here. And he went more hawkish and said, we can't even start thinking about pivoting here. We're still trying to beat the inflation. So, the rates could be up here for the foreseeable future. And if those rates stay up here, this for, for the foreseeable future, we will go into recession. So I do believe they're going to start cutting rates probably in the back half of 2023. And I believe the reason they're going to do that is because the economy is going to fall off a cliff. I think it's going to be ugly. I don't think we're going to hit a soft landing. I think we're going to see in the first quarter of 2023, spending start to drop significantly. For earnings, you know, maybe coming out, you know, January, February might be okay because we're in the fourth quarter. But I'm more worried about like, let's get to like April, you know, when we start seeing the first quarter earnings. You might start to see some earnings warnings. FedEx is warned here. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's just getting started, the, the recession here. And I think that's going to show up in stocks. Now, I do think there's going to be an opportunity in the mid part of 2023 to buy stocks because I think the Fed's going to have to take action because I think they've overshot. Right. So, so I was just going to ask Joel uh, and, and Dennis, you guys have been through, uh, you, you know, this with the Fed a, a couple probably more times than I have. So how much of, of when Powell's talking right now, do you guys really 
you know, trust essentially everything he's saying versus you think he's just trying to kind of jawbone, scare the markets, not make sure there's any sustained bullish activity before inflation is really, you know, smashed. What a great point again, too. I mean, there could be some of that. And that's definitely a possibility. You know, don't kid yourself. Powell looks at the market and says, you know, we see that CPI data and we see the uh, we see the S&P blast off on that print. We see it holding up at 405 here. And we're like, well, I don't want the wealth effect starting to go counter to what I'm doing. So I'll talk the markets down here a little bit. I think that's the case. I think the markets would have got hit ahead of it further. He might have not been as hawkish, but the markets were trading 405 on SPY when he started his press conference there and he wanted to make sure that, hey, you know, I don't want these stocks just blasting off into the end of the year here because that's counter to what I'm trying to accomplish. So I think it's a great point, too. I think he was a little bit more hawkish because the market was, uh, you know, looking to looking for an excuse to blast off the 420 and he gave did not give it that excuse. No, yeah, he did it. He did it. And uh, Aaron, and that, that, that's a great question because uh, a lot of trading and investing is relying on past circumstances, right? You know, what was the situation? And, uh, you know, whatever you think, if he's doing a good job, a great job, a horrible job, he is confronted. There's there's no textbook for like a a pandemic, you know, where you have supply side shortages to an overinflationary period, uh, we're still coming out of the pandemic. I mean, there's no, there's no script for this. There's no, you know, like oh, this happened. Like this isn't 08, and this isn't 89. You know, and it's not the Great Depression. This is a real. Oh, and let's just throw in a war, you know, in the Ukraine with Russia, and let's just, you know, throw in China and their, and their, you know, vacillating on their. COVID restrictions. There's just like he is dealing with so much. And I know that he was transitory for too long. Yeah. And now people think he's absolutely killing the economy with the rising rates, but there there just there is no playbook. And then when I look at my long-term investing, when I'm like unsure of the macro, when I'm unsure of the global market environment, then and you could still go to the bank and get four, four and a half, five percent. I mean, what do you do? You just got to let things better out. So it, it's uh, it's uh, really, really a We're, new a new situation, a new a new world we're living in. We we are. You know, we've had easy money here for twenty years. Twenty years uh-huh. have driven this bull market into valuations that it had no business being at. We had no business trading twenty seven times earnings on the S and P at the end of twenty twenty one. No business out there. We had no business trading 100 times earnings on all these stocks or 20 or 10 times sales or 15 times sales or 20 times sales. It's all come to roost. Now, again, the value trade has you know outperformed and the value trade's been very good. But my, my concern is, is that the value stocks, they've crowded. They've kind of flocked investors from growth to value, and we've seen that trade happen. But now I almost wonder if you shouldn't be going from value to cash. Because the value stocks, like the utilities, pile up so well. And I've been calling for a utility sell-off for a while. It really hasn't occurred. I do think it's going to eventually be coming, though, because why in the hell do I want to go take stock market risk, even though utility stocks, people still pay their utility bills. They're very you know, recession-resistant. But with the Tina trade being dead, I'm like, I'd rather just be in cash than utilities. So I'm shocked, you know, that some of the, you know, somebody's going to go in and jump into an XLU for a 2.9% dividend or into a Southern for a 3.92% dividend that isn't growing much when they can go get 4 or 5% in cash. It's actually surprising me that those stocks haven't sold off more. Boy, that Southern yeah. had a nice rally. We were looking at that thing a nice while ago. Nice rally to sell. Yeah, it had, it had a rally, but it tur- looks like it turned hard at 72 there. 
looks like it's going to get back maybe half of that move to 66 or 67. But uh, yeah, the XLU, I mean, everyone was hiding out from that uh, when uh, when people came out of that trade. Uh, we did. That's when we got the relief rally um, in the market. But uh, boy, it looks like I'm just looking at that XLU four red days in a row, breaking down through a consolidation area. That, that chart's not looking too good. I mean, Aaron, bring us to the bullish scenario because the chat's hating what I'm saying right now. They want to hear that they're going to get all their losses back in 2023. They don't want to hear that it's going to be a worse year for stocks. And there's a case. There's a case to be made that, hey, I could be wrong. Maybe we don't go into recession. Maybe we do go into the soft landing. Can you tell, you know, do you have a bullish scenario here, Aaron? Do you think I'm throwing you right under the bus here? But you said you like to play devil's advocate. I'm asking you to play devil's advocate with my bearish recession scenario. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do think there, I mean, and I think it goes back to what we were saying is that if there is a lot of what Powell is saying right now, he's doing so, you know, in the sense of, of to try to just suppress the markets a little bit, but knowing, because if he comes out and says, hey, we have made a lot of progress on inflation, we're, we're going to, you know, do a smaller rate, 50 basis points this time, maybe do 25 next time. And, and, and we're looking a lot better than we were three months ago, which yeah. may be the truth. Like you said, market goes up to, all right, look where we are on the chart. So this is a spy daily. Right where you were talking about, we hit our highest point since like September in the, or, or you had to go back here to September, the last time we were there. So you have Powell saying, okay, we've finally made some progress on inflation. Now we want to give it all up and see the, the market rip back up to 430. No, he wants to scare it a little bit. But the Fed's whole, uh, you know, post great financial crisis framework is built on avoiding a, another situation like that, avoiding, you know, banks failing. Uh, having to to bail out the auto industry, all these things. So that being said, as soon as some cracks really do start forming, I do think he'll go back on that. We're not going to cut rates until the end. Of, he'll cut rates in February if he needs to. So he's not going to say that right now. But that that is my bullish case is that a lot of what he's saying right now, he's not, you know, is more so just uh, to kind of dampen the markets and not really about the the whole um outlook of the economy in 2023 i'll, I'll come in the middle here because you know that you know dennis you're given you know a bearish perspective and aaron i don't think we're going to see a rate cut in february no matter what the circumstances are but i don't know i, I don't know if i need to come up with a term of like a, a rolling recession because there are pockets of the economy i know there's a lot of layoffs going on in the tech industry and there's going to get a lot of people that were making 150 200 a year they're going to be out on the street and they're not going to be able to replace those jobs but then again i look in the like in the service sector and i look in the airline sector and the last few times i fly there uh, talk to the stewardesses and you know boots on the ground and they're like the stewardess from Delta told me they were hiring 6,000 pilots and stewardesses and mechan you know, mechanical people because they just can't meet the insatiable demand. Now, is the recession going to suck that out of it? Are people just spreading like spending like free willy because they were, you know, locked up for two years? We talked to Michelle Krebs a couple of weeks ago. Is there, pro you know, is there labor, you know, do you see unemployment coming you know, higher from the car industry? She said, no, going to a more personal standpoint, my wife, Looking for medical assistance, can't find people to work in their office. So maybe it's not going to be those really, you know, those high paying tech jobs are out there. Um, those are going away, but to, it's going to take a long time for the economy to transition to, you know, to more of a, you know, a service industry. And 
that's what we're seeing happening. So I don't, you know, I definitely don't see a booming economy in 2023. I'm hoping that it's not a deep recession. But for me, what I'm keeping an eye on is, you know, is that unemployment rate? You know, if it starts going, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half, five, five and a half, six, then boom, we're yeah. toast. And, 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 and right and, now we don't see in that. And I'll just say, wrapping up my point, I don't I don't think the Fed's going to start cutting rates in February. My point was that if, you know, Bank of America is, is talking about having to lay off half their staff or, or their business going, you know, whatever, some big cracks like that are forming, then the Fed may have to reconsider earlier than uh, initially thought. And the other, you know, part that I'll give just on, on being somewhat bullish here is we have seen now inflation come down a decent amount without a big increase in employment, you know? So I'm not saying that, that a soft landing is, possible really because it doesn't seem like powell thinks it's possible powell's basically saying we need to see unemployment go up but if you would have told people three months ago that you would see inflation come down a little bit without unemployment skyrocket people would take that as a good sign and i think that you know helps under helps us understand why we were trading above above 400 on the spy compared to where we were two months ago is because a lot of people didn't think that'd be possible we've made some progress there but still got a ways to go and, and the fed's continuing course should we bring right. Tim into this conversation? Yeah, do we got do we got uh, Mr. Quast in the background? I do not see Mr. Quast in the background. Let me ping, give him a ping real quick. He's um, timely though. Thirty seconds still to his spot. So he's yeah, thirty still... seconds to his spot. He's a busy boy, so he probably didn't come on yeah. until the last second. Uh, we we're f- to... okay. Just real quick on the update. Uh, since uh, we came on the show, uh, we have a little bit of a fade going on here. Mm. Uh, we were trading comfortably up, you know, in the thirty thirty nine ninety area. Uh, that late day rally that uh, got us halfway back, you know, just from the daily range, and I take the daily range from the from the Globex high. Uh, that was at um, thirty eight ninety five. We faded just above that. We're fading again. I think your setups are for early this week. Uh, I think what the bulls need to prove, and they're not doing a very good job of it right now, is that we're going to get over thirty nine hundred. We're going to do some work in the thirty nine hundred. Maybe get up to Friday's high. Uh, that's what the bulls need to do, and and then all the bears are thinking about uh, was man, there's nothing under that low, nothing under that low from Friday. If we can get into that area, the other thing that's concerning to me, bring up the apple chart here, is that we've come down to this one thirty five area. We've come down once. We've come down twice. We've come down three times. This is the fourth time down, and. We are not bouncing out of here. We are, I mean, yep, we're up 40 cents. Uh, but if, if Apple, even if it struggles to get over yesterday's high, you're talking about a major area of support that's being breached. You're talking about the top component in the S&P 500 index. You're talking about an area of three monthly lows of support. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are not adding up to a good week for the market. That chart looks horrible. It does. talking about... 24 times earnings on a stock that, you know, seven, eight years ago traded at 10 times earnings. You're talking about a, a company that is a cash cow. But again, if we're going to recession, maybe I'll just hold off upgrading my iPhone for the next year. Don't think Apple is recession proof. People call it a consumer staple. It is until it isn't. So people like the new iPhones, but they have to eat. They don't have to upgrade. So I think there's a concern. I've had my Apple in my long-term portfolio for the better part of a decade. And we know I hedged it all at 155. Um, I was hedged early because it went to 170 afterwards. But I've said on the show, I could see a scenario that Apple could get under 100 bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Joel, I mean, I didn't notice how bad this Apple chart looked either. But 
uh, Dennis, like you called, Tim Quas came in right at his uh, ah. at his allotted time. I see Mr. Quas hanging out backstage. I bet Tim didn't know that he'd have uh, have me, producer AB, on pre market prep this morning. But I see Tim still dark where he's at because it's he's out west. But let's go ahead uh, and give Tim his intro and bring him on the show. See what Tim's been watching. Mr. Whoa. Tim Quast, Market Stock Dredge. That was good. Who's, who's that old guy? <clears throat> I love hey, good that. To, good to see AB. Nice to see you for a chance. It's been a while. Yeah, you look, you look good. You look Thank good. You. Looks Thank like you. Well, the, the reason you Tim right. was late is, <clears throat> I got to tell everybody, is that he refuses to hire someone to plow his driveway. And he has, what, 150 inches of snow, Dennis. You can't complain anymore. I can't compete with him. So he, he was out, or either that or he had his wife out there <laughs> shoveling away. And then he's like, oh, my gosh, it's time for pre-market prep. So uh, we're, glad, <laughs> we're glad you're here we're, to walk us off a cliff here. The spy's down 5% in the last two weeks, two losing yeah. weeks in a row. Teach us a lesson, Tim. What can we learn from that? Well, and you you know, I talk only about market structure, Joel, and thank you. Good to see you. Um, the, so to me, the, there are core market structure points. And by the way, the, you know, every, this, all this stuff coming from the SEC that dominated, dominated the new string last week, uh, 1,600 pages of proposed rules, that, folks, is market structure. It is the mechanics of the stock market. And, uh, you know, you, ha you have Apple up there and you can talk about the, you know, the fundamentals of Apple, which, uh, look, uh, it's, it's a great business and, and probably will continue to be. But the, the fact is, the fact is virtually all prices are set by computers, machines that are programmed to do things that have nothing to do with a multiple of earnings they have to do with supply and demand so joel my answer is there were two things to know heading into the past two weeks uh number one would be the last options expirations period of 2022 and and number two broad sentiment was above 6.0 and there is a again it's just statistics all that broad sentiment at the way we measure it tells us is when large institutions are likely to reweight or commit more funds. And it is an absolute statistical fact, the way we measure data, that the probability that the market rises when it's above 6.0 is zero. And I said to, uh, to edge users, I, you know, I write a daily market desk note to, to edge users, that the probability is that SPY would return to about 382 because that's where it was when it went over 6.0. Well, where are we? It's 383, right? Very close to where you would expect it to be. So what do you do during those times? Well, there are always things to trade, uh, but that is the explanation. Why is the market down 5%? Uh, because the demand in the market told us that large institutions would reweight and it would have a negative effect on the market. And number two, when options expire, trillions of dollars of, you can think of it as insurance policies, reset and everybody gets a bill. You get a bill and you look at it and you say, well, am I gonna renew this insurance or am, am, am I gonna drop the comprehensive coverage and go to just liabilities? It's just a way to think about it. But both of those things were happening. And it's nice to know that ahead of time. 
So, uh, you know, I sold, I was in, I sold Evergy, which we talked about last time. And, uh, and I just sat there and waited so that, and it's nice not to be down 5%. Uh, it, it, and that's how you do it. Traders, the, the key to success in short-term markets where all the rules are biased toward helping people with, uh, with a, an investment horizon of about 300 milliseconds is, is to be very aware of supply and demand in the market, and it will help you. But that's why, Joel. Tim, I want to take this into a conversation <laughs> about market structure here because we did yeah. get some changes, some proposed changes coming from um, the SEC. I don't know if you had a chance to leave through any of the proposed changes, but you know they're going to adjust tick sizes, which I found very interesting. Obviously, yeah. looking at some more disclosures and stuff too, but maybe start with the tick size uh, discussion here because yeah. um, this obviously is going to change market structure substantially. It's the first major changes proposed really since Reg NMS here. What are your right. thoughts overall and then what do you think of the new tick sizes potentially? Right. So, and traders, the reason that you have to, look, it's mind numbing. I realize that. And you think, ah, oh, why would I do, why would I care about this stuff? I just want to trade good stocks that are likely to rise if I'm long or fall if I'm short. And would that it were that you could just, you know, count on those two things, but you can in a sense. Uh, so my impressions, Dennis, I, I haven't read, I read the summaries. Uh, I read everything that the Wall Street Journal, either editorially or journalistically, has written about it. You know, the, you know, the big folks who write for the Wall Street Journal about those things tend to be Alex Osipovich, Paul Kiernan, um, uh, Telus Demos, who used to be at the New York Times. Yeah. So, and I know them all. The, and uh, so, I, and the, the one word that you will not find in anything, any of the documents, any of what's written about it, is the word issuer which by the way is a public company and the stock market does not exist without public companies. So very, very quickly, you know, if you think of, if you go back in history, history is a great teacher. What created the great capital markets of the United States? Well, it was a group of brokers who said we will charge a minimum commission and give each other preference so that we can provide a supportive ecosystem for public companies and investors who want to invest in them. And that worked for 200 years. That was the Buttonwood Agreement in 1792 that created the NYSE. The, the Reg NMS, which you mentioned, Regulation National Market System, upended the two core principles of that agreement, which were a minimum commission. That's how you get a $2 broker, $2 minimum commission. And we will give each other preference. So the first place you go is this group. Can we buy and sell amidst each other? And if not, then we go somewhere else. Well, that's gone away. Reagan MS prohibited giving preference to anyone, and it capped fees at 30 cents or, you know, three mils uh, in the market. And so what did that do for traders? Well, it destroyed the ecosystem that supported the formation of public companies and the support of them in the secondary market by banks that would hold the stock and write research. That stuff has been demolished and the market has been turned over to machines, no offense to the citadels of the world, but they don't have any customers in that market making operation. They don't write research. They don't carry shares. They don't want to own anything at the end of the day. So what you end up with is a market with tenths of, of pennies mattering to the folks who are setting all the prices. Well, that's it's antithetical to the interest of public companies that have long-term horizons to create wealth and growth for long-term committed investors. Okay, so that's what we have.
And my impression here is that the SEC has thrown the exchanges a very meaty bone. Realize that the exchanges have sued every time that the SEC has attempted to address this market that favors very, very fast machines over everybody else. So this time they said, screw it. We want to get something done. We're going to make sure that the exchanges get something out of this. And this is intended to move a lot of that volume that has gone off of the exchanges over uh, over 40%. I talked yeah. about it in the live demo for the edge users le- this last week. Over four, about, at, yeah, on Friday, on Thursday, 48% of all trading occurred in dark pools. Well, they're trying to push that back to the exchanges. The exchanges love it because they sell data and they want more prices. And so it works to their advantage. Does it help you as a trader? No, but because the core rules won't change. Market makers will still be exempt from having to locate shares to short. That is the mean stock issue. It's nothing else. And they did not address that. It's not payment for order flow. It's not Citadel is rotten. Citadel didn't do it, (laughs) okay? That's not the issue. The issue is market makers can just manufacture stock to fill trades and then go away and the stock prices crash. So that is the problem. That didn't go away. And the the ability to cross a bid-ask spread did not go away. It's just going to be forced onto the exchanges. I much prefer to execute my own trades in a dark pool because I get a bigger order. (laughs) So I don't want to And here's another concern is now we're fragmenting price farther. And I mean, I I like the idea of going like a half tick for maybe a Bank of America, but I think they might have taken it too far with this 0.2 bucket. And it's going to capture a lot more stocks than I think they maybe even intend to. Like I could see how Amazon can now go down to a 0.2 and trade in 20th of of, of a cent. I mean, is there really any benefit here to having Amazon, which at one time, we just go a year ago, was trading with a 10 cent spread because it was a $2,000 stock. And now we're going to take it down to a 20th of a cent. I think they're overshooting here, are they not? Well, it leaves out, there's a gaping maw in the data that nobody talks about. And, you know, traders, you should bring this up. Look, when you comment, and you can comment, to, to the SEC about these things. You cannot talk about narrow spreads while omitting volatility, but they do. Nobody talks about the fact that the average stock in the S&P 500 moves 2.5% per day between the high and low price. So what difference does it make if there's a tenth of a penny spread? That's, that, that is confusing busy with productive. The problem is when, when prices fragment, it increases a greater likelihood that prices will have wide ranges. Look, we use it. We teach you, edge users, how to use that, right? This is what we say. If a stock has rising demand and falling supply and it's, and it's got 4% volatility and it's down 2% today, what is the probability that in the next two days you make money? Nearly 100% because of the rules. So you can, I had an edge user send me a, 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 an email over the weekend. He said, I have made 100% returns. I have never lost money using that. So I, and, and that's from, we call it the Hicks rule. <laughs> anyway, it's an inside joke. But the, the, there's your point. Yes, it doesn't matter what the spread is if there's tremendous volatility. But traders, the good news for you is we can navigate this. I understand it. You know, the crew here, Dennis, is one of the great experts on how the market works. We understand what effect these will have and what's good and what's not. And the core thing is that you, if you understand that these rules benefit not you, 
They don't benefit you, even though that's the story that we're told. They benefit people who want to make a tenth of a penny. If you, if you cut the spread to a tenth of a penny, who are you benefiting? People who want a tenth of a penny. It's not benefiting you, okay? Joel. Other than that, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> so what should investors right? do so this These week? changes, just to sum yeah. up, these changes yeah. are being, you know, they're going to be a comment period here. Yes. And they'll probably be implemented in the second quarter of 2023. So we're a little yeah. ways away from implementation here yet. But these are proposed. And there will be a comment period, and they may not go through, but in all likelihood, a lot of these changes are going to go through. And it will take some time. And, and remind me, A.B., when we get into the new year, I'll make sure to give you the links so you can put that in the chat for how to make comments on this. And uh, we can certainly talk about the core things. What, what should matter to you, retail investors, is do I have the capacity to execute a trade favorably? And I'm telling you, you do. You, do, you know, there, there's, it's never been a better time for retail traders. There are things I don't like about the market, but these are, the, these are true things. If there's a spread, I, I use a, if there's a spread of less than 20, 20 cents, okay, you with me? To, if to stocks $20 at, to, to offer and, and $20, 2020 bid, sure. that's a spread of 20 cents. And so if you execute a trade at the market, meaning I'm going to take the best that the, I'm going to just hit the, what, what they're offering to sell it at. Uh, and, and I put in a trade of a hundred shares. Of, I trade in 99 shares all the time. Right, You talked about that. Yep. Yeah. Right? That trade is going to get filled between them. You're going to get a great price. Okay. You already can do that. You can already use it to your advantage. What this is going to do is add um, a lot more complexity and fragmentation. Not it's not in our interest, but the, you know this will this process will drag on. The truth is, retail traders have a good deal. The people who do not have a good deal are public companies. All right, yeah. Tim. Before we let you go, we're getting yeah. up against the clock here. Yeah. I'm going to put two things together here. Uh, right. What should investors do this week? And um, unfortunately, with uh, the way the holidays are falling. Uh, this is the last market structure Monday of the year. Hard to so believe. Along, along with the uh, you know heads up for this week, yeah. give us one big thing for 2023. Okay, I can I can do both. Uh, so if I were going to trade anything this week, which am I? You know, I I tell whatever I tell edge users is what I do, and and the math is there. You know, I use the same math that will show up on your desktop. Uh, it, the, the dashboard here. I've got this over here, Benzinga, December 19. Notice this, you know, the, the, the supply demand, there's supply demand separation, exact opposite of airlines and cruise ships. See how that fall, very, very weak demand, rising supply. That's not what causes stocks to go up. That causes them to go down. So if you want to short stocks, you know, you, you short a stock about right at five that has rising demand a supply that's over, over 50%, close to 60%. You probably make money on the short side all day long doing that. So this is the opposite. If I picked one thing out of here, Joel, uh, that, that I think is good. The irony is it's probably Evergy. I mean, Evergy is now has gone from a big and stable to a stock that just hit 10 with falling supply. Well, generally speaking, that will produce a return. It's not going to produce a lot. But if this stock is down today, one, one and a half percent, I'm buying that because it's probably going to give me that much tomorrow or the next day. That's not a lot, but it beats declines. And you can wash, rinse, repeat that over and over. Uh, so then the big thing, I, you know, I, 
I, I have a real, making predictions always renders fools of everyone. So with that qualifier, <laughs> right, if you want to, if you want to appear a fool uh, and then confirm it, open your mouth, right? So the, <laughs> but here's what I will say. I am predicting that we will have a flash crash this year. That is, so if you go back to May 6, 2010, uh, uh-huh. the market fell apart. I don't know when or where, the, but the reason I'm saying this will occur is because the market has been it's become so riven with purposes that are other than the economic factors that we can observe with our eyes uh, that, there, that a wide gap forms between them and at some point that's going to reset. So I will say it will come with a bad, maybe a bad jobs number. All of a sudden, whoa, 500,000 jobs lost in a month. That could happen a currency crisis does the japanese central bank have to intervene because the yen is weakening so dramatically that could happen or a large bank fails like credit suisse i'm worried about credit suisse yeah i am too i I, so one of these kinds of things will precipitate it and we'll look back afterward and go holy crap what happened there i think that that is going to happen in 2023 it's not the end of the world i'm not a bull or a bear I'll just use data at, to make money consistently, and you will be able to do that, traders. So don't be frightened. But I think that 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 the probability is very high that that happens in 2023. So we bring on Tim Quest to raise our our spirits. And he tells us the market's going to have a flash crash. <laughs> and uh, for you guys that don't know this, Dennis wrote about a potential flash crash in January of 2000. Um, in the CFA magazine yeah. because Thank of the stock Rambus. Is that still around anymore? Yeah. Rambus. Now, what I yeah. did was I extrapolated the price but. action from Rambus and I extrapolated it to the whole market because I'm like, this market is so you know fragmented and obviously we have no affirmative obligations. I talked about all that and I said the market makers can just go off. So I'm like, we're going to have a scenario one day where we're going to get very heavy on the market making side where we're drifting down, drifting down, drifting down. The market makers like we're too full. And we're just going to hit the shutoff button. And we're going to have no liquidity at all. And I said yeah. that and I posted that. It was on Zero Hedge as well. In January of 2010, I said, was the Rambus flash crash a sign of things to come in the overall market? And then obviously we had the flash crash in on May 6, 2010, four months later. So, I mean, it was a predictable event if you understand market structure. So we have a few things go. to help us. You know, we do have yeah. circuit breakers now. We here, do. Tim. We yep. do have some band-aids that it probably isn't going to get to the situation. We're going to have right. stocks trading at one cent here again. But, right. you know, there we'll is liquidity concerns here still. And there is concerns that the majority of our market's liquidity come from a very few number of participants. Yes, yeah. All right, let's wrap it up, Tim. Oh, Thank Tim you. Comment about well, we only got four minutes left. So. Yeah. One final comment, Tim, since we're not going to see you till next year. Uh, you know, all I would add is that while there are four, and we've I've mentioned these things before, there are four thousand brokers regulated by Finra, but nine of them execute almost all of the large institutional customer right. orders. And then there are about 15 firms that set almost all of the prices. So if if one of either group says, man, there's just too much going on. I'm not going to be making, exactly. I'm not going to make a market today. It it can rupture the market. We really rest on the, you know, the head of a pin. And I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not negative. I just think you should be open-eyed, clear-eyed. 
if you're going to be a participant in the U.S. equity market, and you are traders and investors, then know how it works. And it doesn't mean you have to be scared of it. I'm not frightened of it at all, but I'm aware of the things that can go wrong. And that's important. Tim Quas, Market Structure yeah. Edge. Final Good appearance, 2022. We'll get you back next year. See Honor you in the new year, guys. Happy holidays. Right. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All Take right, care, uh, Aaron, we got to catch up on that uh, on that doc there, buddy. I told you we'd have more than enough. I know, I know. We've got we, we've got three minutes left. We're going to hit Meta and Biotech real quick. Let's start with sure. Meta trading down on some EU antitrust news. Let's go ahead and get. I'll pop that chart up for Meta. Give me give me guys each your your thirty second thoughts on Meta. Um, value is there, uh, but again, it's the businesses core business are still getting TikToked. So for that reason, I just can't get in there because I think the worst uh, isn't. Is, I think the worst worst times are still ahead for Meta. Not maybe the stock necessarily, but the company. So lots of bad news priced in here, though. All right, Joel. Uh, prove to me that you cannot. Can you close above one twenty three forty nine? That's the high close of the move. You're a ways away from that. Until you do that, path of least resistance lower. Maybe giving back half of this move from, uh, what, 89 bucks. There you go, Zuck. To get Joel buying your stock, all you got to do is get close above that 123 level. We're not quite there yet, 117 right now. Uh, let's flip over to biotech. We had a couple sure. big movers. I'll, I'll, I'll start with just the, the uh, LabU ETF right here, the uh, three times direction ETF. Trading up about 3% today. We also had some individual new, uh, movers. MDGL, I believe, is that the ticker for the one we're uh -huh. that yeah. MDGL has pulled that one up too, uh, and Moderna as well. I mean, one thing to consider, and I actually have been doing this and employing this now over the weekends, is the Friday night trade in XBI. And what I've been doing, and I've just, you know, I'm just going to say this for the first time, is I've actually been going long XBI on the Friday nights. And I've start may continue to do that for just that the possibility that we might get a merger Monday in the biotech sector we might get something and I hedge it out with the S&P so you know I'm just looking at you know uh, uh, and, and obviously this MDGL news helped me here this morning because it is I think it's 0.65 percent or something of the XBI and you got to stock up 200 percent so that's going to be the outside news so the MDGL it, it's 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 drug news for that stock but I do think there's this opportunity here on Friday nights that I'm just looking at it and hedging it out. And you're not looking to make three, four, five percent of this thing. You're looking to just uh, relatively outperform the S&P. So if XBI is up 1% here this morning, the S&P is up nothing, that's awesome. I mean, even if it's like 0.3% outperformance or 0.4% outperformance, you put some size on that trade and it's a pretty good trade. So um, I've been just doing that. I'm just starting to do it. And I, mean, I might continue to do that into the new year because I do think some of these little biotechs are really beaten down. I do think you can see some individual stock, you know, some of these smaller biotech stocks continue to get taken over. They are often announced over the weekend, so which would make the move on the Monday. So I'm just, you know, it's kind of like a little arbitrage. Well, no, it's nothing arbitrage, but it's trying to take advantage of the potential for merger Monday to happen in the small biotechs. So I like the XBI long on Friday nights now. That's a very interesting uh, trade. I don't think you'll I... hear about that one. I made that up. <laughs> yeah. That's right out of my head. That's so the first time I've heard the long. Somewhere else they ripped it off. <laughs> <laughs> they ripped it off of me because I just made that up right now, like like in the last like week. Here we go. Trying, 
Go to the uh, MDGL. That's the uh, that's the big mover. That's the that's the catalyst that's driving XBI. Yeah, yeah. MDGL up two hundred percent. You can see the chart here. We have that whim. Why is it moving on Benzinga Pro? They've got some good news on this uh, res mm. res trial with uh, with Nash and liver fibrosis. I probably messed up the pronunciation there, but you guys get the get the gist. They've got some good news. Stock up two hundred percent. Trading now at around two hundred dollars. Like Dennis said, bringing the whole uh, XBI ETF up with it. Moderna, uh, an upgrade as well. We'll that just helps XBI the... as well. It's a yeah. portion of it as well. Moderna caught another upgrade from Jeffries, I believe. Trading really well, up 50% the last six months, but it is 9 a.m. Dennis, Joel, you guys got any final thoughts as we head into the open today? Very important, taking it back to Tesla. Very important that, one, Musk follows through on what he said he was going to do or Tesla's really going to get hurt. Two, the Tesla holds the gains and does lift when he officially announces it. If he officially announces it on Twitter, I think you'll see that lift again in the stock. It's very important that Tesla holds those gains because this is this was, you know, what you know a lot of people were saying was weighing on Tesla. And if it can't get a relief pop from this, then it's telling me that investors are not so much concerned as much as we thought about the Twitter situation. They're more concerned about a potential recession in 2023 and that impacting Tesla's core businesses. So um, it's very important Tesla hold the gains here today. Uh, just for me, I mean, we're, we're struggling here. We're trying to hold unchanged here. Um, I'll go a little bit tighter than that low from Friday. I'm looking at that pre-market low at 72.75. That was also your last after hours print. So there was a little hesitation selling. So if we can hold that, then I think we got some room to the upside. Absolutely got to end this day in the 3,900 handle. Or else I'm afraid uh, the bears are still in control. If we take out that low for Friday, you can look on your charts. You can see what kind of support you had back in your stocks on November 10th and 11th, I believe, <laughs> um, were the days. But they're not much in the S&P. Uh, I think that uh, I think we got to give uh, AB a, a small hand here. Uh, oh, he's yeah. traveling and uh, being a co-host, the first time on with us and throwing us uh, some stuff to, to talk about. So great having you, AB. I know you got some other shows coming up later on, but uh, great job. And uh, yeah. Triple D, I'll check in with you Yeah, later I thought on. you did a great job here, Aaron. We do appreciate you filling in for Mitch here on his day off. So, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in and helping us out. Great job keeping the show flowing well. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. You guys make it uh, really easy. No, no struggle at all. But yeah, next time, hopefully when I, if, if I get to join again, I'll be in the office. So I get a little bit of a nicer setup for you guys. Um, but yeah, we've got live trading coming up. We'll have Benzinga live on after that. Hope everyone sticks around. We will be having uh, the redirect there automatically. The only self-promotion I'll do, I'll drop my Twitter in the chat. If you guys want to give me a follow, please do. If not, all good as well. Dennis, enjoy the rest of your day. Hope you, Thanks, hope you, hit, some, hope you hit some good trades today. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, guys, I don't know what happened to Joel. I think he might have just popped out. But, guys, uh, thanks again for hanging out with us today. That'll be a wrap on pre-market prep. We're getting, uh, we're going straight into it with live trading. Again, you do not need to go anywhere. The redirect will uh, bring you to live trading automatically. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow. Till then, peace and love, y'all.